from Silicon Valley, California. This is Fresh Dialogues. to welcome Pulitzer Prize winning New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd. Maureen, thank you for joining me today on Fresh Dialogues. Thank you, Alison. So first I want to talk about your Irish heritage. I understand you were very close to your mother, Peggy, and it's been said that your columns are like letters to her. Do you feel that way? Oh, that's very sweet. I've never heard that. There was a time when I first started in journalism when my mom stopped reading me, actually, because um, I was covering a suburb of Washington and writing about landfills and zoning. And she said she would only start reading again if I got to some more interesting topics. So she is in my head in the sense that I want to inform and amuse the reader and try and surprise them and tell them something they don't know. And is it your mother and your Irish blood that's responsible for your humor and your biting prose, would you say? Mm, yeah, we had an editor. I had a friend named Michael Kelly, who was the first um, journalist to die in the Iraq War. And we worked in the Washington Bureau of the Times together, and we had an editor who used to call us Gale Force, <laughs> as in G-A-E-L. But... Um, yeah, they say that the Irish understand about politics and writing, and I hope it's true. I, I like to think so. Mm. You wrote in yesterday's April 1st column, No More Hummer Nation, about America's desire for all things big. Big cars, living big, and spending big. And you ask a really good question. How do we come to terms with the gluttony that exploded our economy and still retain a reptilian American desire for living large? Do you have an answer to that question, Maureen? It's interesting because I had heard this French uh, psychologist talk a, a few years ago on the radio about how Americans have the, the reptilian part of their brain likes big things and that that's who we are. We like big cars and mansions and Costco where you go and you get 12 rolls of toilet paper, not just one. Whereas in Europe, you see people and they just go and get their food for the day and maybe one bouquet of flowers and one bag of groceries and their tiny cars. And so the question now is, how big, you know, do we need to feel to still feel American as Obama tries to downsize us? And um, the French psychologist is named uh, G. Clotaire Rappel, and he was hired by the American car manufacturers to justify the fact that they didn't go green earlier and that why they kept making these huge SUVs and pickup trucks and Hummers you know, long after they should have realized that these brands were not really where we needed to go. And so this guy, Rappel, asserted that a reptilian part of the brain seeks tools of survival, especially while the United States remains under threat of attack. This was after 9-11. He said, you don't want to go to war in a little pinto. He padded a shiny black Hummer to a reconstituted military vehicle and called it quite reptilian. So um, that's where their head was, even as recently as 2003. Detroit just didn't embrace that greener future. They were too tied up in the war. Yeah, and I interviewed this great independent auto expert named Marianne Keller, who said when the, Rick Wagoner announced he was relaunching relaunching, buying the Hummer brand and launching it as, as a GM brand, she was dumbfounded. She thought it was the most bizarre decision, and it was just guys who wanted an extra macho car driving around Greenwich to get their bagels, and 
reporters who covered Detroit were so relieved about Wagner being fired because they watched the industry for years and years and years refuse to embrace the future and just make all these stupid decisions and reward themselves. And I think that what's depressing about the decade we've lived in is that America seems stupid and all many, many stupid decisions were made. And I think that's what Obama is focusing on turning around because he himself is a real smarty pants. His favorite thing is to be in a room with a bunch of eggheads. And I think he wants Americans to be smarter and kids to be better educated. Do you personally believe in a greener future? Is it something that you have embraced? Oh, sure. And, you know, a, a very little known fact is that when Jerry Ford was uh, president, his vice president was Rockefeller, and he was a very moderate Republican, you know, cosmopolitan, and he developed uh, an idea for an energy plan for the country that would get us into alternative fuels and, you know, and, uh, modern energy, and uh, it was killed by uh, lobbying from Ford's chief of staff, who was Dick Cheney. And so if Dick Cheney had not done that then, our energy future would have been so much more advanced. So not only did he keep us going backwards for the eight years he was vice president, he started us going backwards many decades ago when he was uh, Ford's chief of staff. And, you know, everybody used to joke about two oil men in the White House. Was that too much? But there were all these ridiculous oxymorons like clean coal and you know, the whole thing with Halliburton, it was just really a, a time when America reeled backwards in many ways. And also Cheney uh, and Bush wanted to blow off all the international treaties as part of their desire to be a hyperpower. And so they couldn't care less about Kyoto. And, you know, I covered the campaign of Bush's father and Gore. And I remember when Bush's father called Gore Ozone Man. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was just how they treated environmentalists as sandal-wearing, tree-hugging, you know, idiots. Mm -hmm. But you called Al Gore practically lactating over oh. his equal views. Oh. Do, you, do you feel a little, more, a little more sympathetic to him now, um, now that he's changed oh, the way the world? I was sympathetic to him in terms of his ideas. It was just teasing him a little bit because he was so earnest and... um he could be a little righteous and self-important, and um, that's not always the most effective way to communicate your ideas, even if the ideas themselves are right. I mean, mm -hmm. certainly his ideas were right, but he himself was sometimes a pompous messenger for them. He wasn't that way in private. He just didn't know how to get across you know, a sense of humor and um, things that he had in private in the public stage. Did you ever coach him? Because he seems to have relaxed a bit recently. <laughs> no, I think it was one of these things where he came from a political family and his father was a famous senator with high expectations for him and he was always expected to be president. And I just think he put a lot of pressure on himself and didn't always make the right choices when he was under extreme pressure to be president. But I think, he, in a way, he's enjoying himself more now that those expectations are not on him. He's, you know, coming into his own in ways that he couldn't do in the campaign. 
And as far as being green yourself, living a green life, do you take canvas bags to the store? Do you think about the planet when you're buying a car or buying an item for the house? For some reason, even though I'm I'm too young to have really had this grudge about World War II, I always wanted to buy American cars. And I I tried in my 20s to buy American cars. And I bought two Fords. And they were really, really terrible cars and broke down all the time. And I spent more on fixing them than I did, um, you know, in buying them. And so finally, after a decade of struggling with Ford, I bought a Miata. And I have to say, I've had it since 1990. And I think it's been in the shop once. And I think that is the, to me, the essence of where America went wrong, because we used to be just the place for excellence in products, in real things. And then somewhere along the line, not only did we give up our pursuit of excellence in actual products, but we began pursuing these products, these financial products that didn't exist, like derivatives. And and as one congressman put it, we began packaging smoke. So we were trying to make money from money. So you know, I always think of the time when I couldn't buy American cars anymore as the time when America was somehow on the wrong path. And beyond cars, what other green ways do you live? Hmm. Is it something that's on your mind on a daily basis? Well, yeah, I try. I try and get advice from Tom Friedman, who is uh, Mr. Solar around our office. <laughs> He's done a new book that that is very involved with energy, and his whole house is... Um, solar designed and I gave him for Christmas a solar lantern (laughs) for his house and um, I asked him and he's trying to coach me on how to be more environmentally correct. Great. Last night you called him your office husband. He is. How does his wife feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) She likes me too. Yeah, he's my office husband and when he gets depressed about the environment or um, the Middle East or something at the times he comes in this happens very rarely because Tom's a very serious guy, but he'll come in and go, let's get a daiquiri. <laughs> and then I know that he is not feeling good. And I have read his book, Hot, Flat and Crowded. It's mm-hmm. excellent. And here's a premise that America has lost its groove and can get its groove back by embracing green energy and green tech. What do you think about that? I think that's true. It was, I mean, this was the first campaign I've ever covered where you'd go and watch Hillary and um Obama in the primary, and they were both competing to come up with a plan for green jobs. And for me, it's very exciting because for the last, for the eight years that Bush and Cheney were in, it just felt like we were going backwards in every way and that, you know, we weren't coming into the 21st century and we were kind of like the Flintstones. We were just not moving forward. So I love all that. One final question. Talking of dreams, what is your dream day? How would your dream day go? Oh, that's something I always ask presidential candidates, and um, they never have a good answer, and I probably don't have a good answer either. Let's see, my dream day. Well, it would definitely involve a movie, because I love movies, maybe an old movie, maybe an old film noir movie, like Out of the Past, something with Robert Mitchum. And gosh, it would definitely involve a cute guy that I could bewitch, (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) And um, let's see, it would probably involve a glass of Chardonnay 
and uh, and some volunteerism, definitely. Some volunteerism. <laughs> but yes, to... and some green, you know, <laughs> recycling. Right. So you would have a, you would have a good green day. Yes, a green day, oh, and maybe some green guacamole or something. <laughs> Great. No Guinness. Um, Guinness. I I think I love Guinness, but um. I I always worry that it might be a little fattening, but yeah, if it's my dream day, why not? I'll start off with, uh, what is that thing they call when you combine Guinness and champagne, a black velvet or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can start the day with that, but only if you come with me. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> You're on. We have a date. <laughs> That's huh. a date. Great. Maureen Dowd, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for being on Fresh Dialogues. All right. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you for listening to Fresh Dialogues. This is Alison Van Diggelen, with special thanks to Tom Kromkowski and Carol Pecora for technical support, and Kevin McLeod, who wrote and produced our music. Music